I think we live in a world of so much here and now. It's really hard to be tied into something that's eternal and something's bigger than us. We just don't think about it. Part of it is the pace of life, all the things you have to do, the lists. Every Monday morning, I make a list, and, and it doesn't seem like my list gets any shorter. It seems like it gets longer, and then I get kind of wound up into all of the stuff I got to do, and, and that, that's okay. It helps me be effective, but uh, every Thursday afternoon, when I'm kind of done with tasks and turn towards the weekend, um, there's always stuff left unchecked. And I really struggle with that because I love to do what God's given me to do, and I love to do a thorough job and a good job. And just sometimes when things are not checked off, I I struggle with that. Um, This last Tuesday, um, the Lord, uh, according to His will and plan, took a dear friend of mine and a dear friend of our congregation into the picture of Revelation chapter uh, 21. Um, there's, There's people in the congregation who are very, very supportive. And there's a lot of people who are very supportive. And yet there are those people that God brings in and out of our congregation that love pastors. And uh, Glenn Weingarth was one of those gentlemen. Glenn, uh, um, text messages, phone calls, um, sometimes little little quips of encouragement. Uh, But he was a friend of pastors, having studied for the ministry as a young man before he went into... uh, into his MBA program at Duke, he, um, he, he loved theology, he loved the Lord. And so he had a special place in his heart for me and Pastor Mike, Pastor Nate, and uh, Pastor Trevor, as well as pastors and church leaders throughout the nation. And so as I read this piece this morning from Revelation 21, I think that there's some very sad people whose tears are wiped away from this beautiful, beautiful piece. Revelation 21, beginning at verse 9. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with the 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city of gold, the great street of the city was of gold as to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. When I remember, and I read that scripture, I remember that in faith and in hope, the people who have gone before us are in this picture of heaven and with the Lord Jesus. That's a function of love. And I wonder as we start this morning, do you believe in true love? Would you look at the person next to you and say, I love you? Would you? Would you look at the person you're maybe not sitting with, and you don't have to do this, and say, I love you, but 
Sometimes we romanticize that true love piece, right? And you have to have butterflies and hummingbirds and flowers and hearts and valentines and all that stuff. But sometimes I wonder if that's really true love or maybe true love for you sounds a little bit like this. There is no such thing as one true love. Stop! Oh, boy. What are you doing? What are you doing? I was wrong. There's no such thing. I, uh... Well, here's the thing. In fairness, I didn't know where he was going with that, but I think we can all agree it was headed in a kind of depressing, um... way. My son, not him, my actual son, believes in grand romantic gestures. He believes in the existence of one's soulmate. And it's easy to just look at a 13-year-old and say, you don't know what you're talking about. You are wrong. But I'm not so sure. I met my soulmate when I was 15 years old. We went out for ice cream. After my dad started teasing me about my first date, the way dads do, and I told him, Dad, it's no big deal. I'm going to be going out with a lot of different girls on a lot of different dates. And that is the first time that I ever lied to my father. I met my soulmate when I was 15 years old, and I have loved her every minute of every day since I first bought her that mint chocolate chip cone. I have loved her through the birth of my three perfect children. I have loved her even when I've hated her. Only married couples will understand that one. And I don't know if it's going to work out. I don't know what's going to happen. Sorry, Robbie, I can't give you that. But I can promise you this. I will never stop trying. Because when you find the one, you never give up. Do you have anything you'd like to say? I still love you, Jessica. And I love you, Emily. <laughs> True love, right? True love. Love that movie. It's just cute. It's just Steve Carell, obviously. I hear Michael Scott when I hear Steve Carell, but that's all part of it. Love is overcoming those things that are painful sometimes in our lives. And dealing with those things forthrightly, connected to one another with this heart-to-heart things. Love is not necessarily an intellectual exercise. I know you, and so I'm connected to your brain, and and somehow I'm going to pass a test about you, and then we're going to be in love. It just isn't that way. Love is this heart-to-heart, self-sacrificing, self-giving, pouring out of self for another person. And I love when Jesus is speaking to his disciples in those warm, loving tones like they're around a campfire. 
Maybe there was a fire in the room in John chapter 20 when Jesus pops into the room and, and the disciples are there and they say, now what? Jesus says, I'm here and I love you and I will never desert you and I will never leave you and you are my guys and we are in this together. Thomas isn't with them, so Jesus pops in again and he says, I love you and I'm with you. Thomas, come here. And I don't picture Jesus being out there screaming at Thomas or Peter or whoever saying, if you really loved me, you would have been there when it was really hard. I, I see Jesus saying, when it was really difficult and you walked away, I still love you. And this piece from John chapter 16 doesn't say that life's going to be easy or simple, but it says that you are loved. You are loved of God, and because you're loved of God, you're loved in the community of the church of Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord from John 16, 30, 23 to 33. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. And have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then his disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe me? Jesus replied. A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Have you ever seen what love does to a person? How it melts the soul? How two people who may have nothing in common yet find commonality in love? Have you ever seen what love does in a long-term relationship? Where people kind of grow into one another, begin to predict how one another will behave and act and how they will speak and what that looks like and sounds like. And, and you look and you say, oh, they're so cute. Sometimes in my life, I don't feel so lovable. Like those disciples with Jesus. When he was with them, I wonder, he just kind of wanted to, they wanted to put their heads down and say, I love someone else because I've been a creep on this. And Jesus comes to them over and over and over again and says, you know what, I love you. For those of us who feel that way, as if true love is elusive or as if we, we, we aren't able to be loved because of where we've been, maybe the broken pieces of our lives. I said, man, I, it, it's hard for me to attach and connect because I just don't feel like I have that because where I came from or how I was raised or how I was loved earlier in my life. Jesus breaks into that closed door of our lives and says, I love you and I'm with you and I'm not leaving you. 
the essence of love, the essence of what Jesus is all about, making fractured lives whole, making lost people found, bringing the unloved and unlovable into this marvelous loving relationship. Jesus shows us true love. And, and, and the marvelous gift of that is him on the cross for us, that, that somehow heaven and earth are tied in Jesus, and he died. Jesus said in John 16, greater love has no man than this, that he would give his life for his friends. He takes another breath and he says what? You are my friends. The seal of the love of the Lord Jesus for you is his death on the cross. His legacy is one of love. That's what makes gathering together like this, like coming around a campfire at San Clemente, because while we don't have every single thing in common, what we hold in common in Jesus and His love unites people who would in no other way be united. We live in a time where our culture is so fractured where people say, I believe this and you believe that and I got this and I got that and I'm this and you're that and how can we ever get along? Jesus comes into that with love and says, greater love has no one than this than to sacrifice for those you love. We're not first Republicans and Democrats. We're not first men and women. We're not first this ethnicity or that ethnicity. We're first and foremost children of God, beloved of the Father. And the gift of that true love for Jesus in his church unites us and spills over into the real world in marvelously demonstrable and practical ways. When I get to teach the, the new member discovery experience, one of the things I like to say is, uh, uh, you know, to some of the married people I'll say, did you tell your spouse that you love your spouse? And they go, what do you mean? Of course. Said, did you do it today? Well, not yet. And I said, well, it's a little bit like Lena and Oli. And I know I told this story a hundred times. Oli and Lena go into the supper club in Menominee, Wisconsin. And uh, they watch these two younger people just holding hands and, darling, I love you. Darling, this is great. Let me grab, blah, blah, blah. And Oli looks at Lena and uh, he kind of rolls his eyes. Lena looks back at Oli and says, you know, why? We, we were never like that. Oli, look how much they love one another and how great this is. This is fantastic. How come you never tell me you love me anymore? And Oli says, well, I told you when we got married, and if it changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> See, that gift of love is a rejuvenating piece from God's heart to yours. God tells you how much he loves you every day as his spirit and his word speaks into your heart. I love you. I sacrifice for you. You are mine. Every day and every bit. The Lord Jesus loves you, and you are never, ever in his love alone, but it's body of Christ stuff. It's present here and now. It's the ability to gather around the table and the altar of the Lord with the bread and the wine to receive community and the love of Jesus for us. It's what makes today such a special day and such a marvelous day, that lonely people find companionship, that people struggling find a sense of hope. And that all of us gather together around that campfire of Jesus' love. One of my favorite stories is a story of Tony Campolo 
and uh, about a church filled with love and people filled with love. So he was vacationing in Honolulu, and if you've read the book, What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey, or you've heard Tony Campolo speak, you may have heard this, uh, you may have heard this story. But Campolo talks about going into a, a diner late at night after he had spoken. He's in there at 2.30 in the morning. He's on uh, East Coast time, and he's up too early, and blah, blah, blah. And so he goes into this greasy spoon, which was really kind of gross, and uh, he orders a donut and a cup of coffee, and he hangs out, and the fat guy behind the counter begins talking with him, and all of a sudden, two ladies walk in at about 3.30 in the morning, and as the door swings open... In walked, um, Campolo talks about in walking eight or nine provocative and boisterous hookers. It was a little restaurant and they kind of came around Campolo and they were sitting talking, they were loud, they were rude and crude, and he felt out of place. Just about to, to leave, he, he overheard a woman say, tomorrow is my birthday and I'm going to be 39 years old. The lady's friend responded in kind of a nasty tone, so what do you want from me, a birthday party? What do you want, a birthday cake? What do you want for us to all gather together and sing happy birthday? Come on, the woman said. Why do you have to be so mean? I was just telling you, that's all. Why do you have to put me down? I was just telling you it was my birthday tomorrow. I don't want anything from you. I mean, why should you give me a birthday party? I never had a birthday party in my whole life. Why should I have one for my 39th birthday? When Campolo had overheard that, he made a decision, and he waited in the diner until the ladies left, and he called over the heavyset man from behind the grill and said, do those ladies come here every night? Yeah, the man answered. And he said, do you think they'll be here tomorrow night? And the lady who was speaking, does she come every night? And the gentleman said, yes, that's Agnes. She comes in here every night. Why do you want to know? Campola replied, because I heard her say that tomorrow is her birthday. What do you say you and I do something about that birthday? What do you think about throwing a birthday party for Agnes right here in this diner tomorrow evening? The man smiled with delight, with love in his heart and his eyes. He answered with delight, that's great, I like it, that's a great idea. Calling to his wife who did the cooking in the back room, he shouted, hey, come out here. This guy's got a great idea. Tomorrow is Agnes' birthday. This guy wants to go in with him and wants us to go in with him and throw a birthday party for her right here tomorrow night. His wife came out of the back room all bright and smiley. She said, that's wonderful. You, you know, Agnes is one of those people who's really kind and nice and nobody ever does anything nice. For Agnes. Look, I told them if it's okay with you, I'll be back here tomorrow morning about 2.30 and decorate the place. I'll even get a birthday cake. No way, the fat cook said. I will make that cake. I will make it beautifully. At 2.30 the next morning, they were back in the diner. They'd picked up some crepe paper decorations at the store, made a sign out of big pieces of cardboard that read, Happy Birthday, Agnes. They decorated the diner from one end to the other, and the diner was looking marvelously. The woman who did the cooking must have gotten the word out on the street because at 3.15, every prostitute in Honolulu was in the place. It was wall-to-wall prostitutes and me. <laughs> at 3.30 on the dot, the door swung open, and in came Agnes and her friend. I had everybody ready. After all, I was kind of the MC of the party. 
when they came in, we all screamed, happy birthday. Never have I seen a person so flabbergasted, so stunned, so shaken. Her mouth fell open, her legs seemed to buckle a bit. Her friend grabbed her arm to steady her. As she was led to sit on one of the stools among the counter, we all sang, happy birthday to Agnes. As we came to the end of our singing, happy birthday, dear Agnes, happy birthday to you. Her eyes moistened. Then with the birthday cake with all 39 candles on it was carried out, she lost it. And Agnes just openly cried. Harry gruffly mumbled, blow out the candles, Agnes, come on, blow out the candles. If you don't blow out the candles, I'm going to have to blow out the candles for you. And after an endless few seconds, he blew out the candles. Then he handed her a knife and told her, cut the cake, Agnes. Yo, Agnes, we all want some cake. Agnes looked down at the cake. Then without taking her eyes off it, she slowly and softly said, look, Harry, is it all right with you if I, I mean, is it okay if I kind of, what I want to ask you is, is it okay if I keep a little, keep the cake for a little while? I mean, is it all right if we don't eat it right away? Harry shrugged and answered, sure, Agnes, it's okay. If you want to keep the cake, keep the cake. Take it home if you want to. Can I? She asked. Then looking at Campolo, she said, I live just down the street a couple doors. I want to take the cake home. Okay, I'll be right back. Honest. She got off the stool, picked up the cake and carried it like it was the Holy Grail. Walked slowly towards the door as we all just stood there motionless. She left. When the door closed, there was a stunned silence in that place. Not knowing what else to do, I broke the silence by saying, what do you say we all pray? Looking back on it now, it seems more than strange for a sociologist to be leading a prayer with a bunch of hookers in a diner in Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning. But then it just felt like the right thing to do. I prayed for Agnes. I prayed for her salvation. I prayed that her life would be changed and that God would be good to her. When I finished, Harry leaned over the counter and with a trace of hostility in his voice, he said, hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? In one of those moments, when just the right words came, I answered, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for hookers at 3.30. Harry waited a moment and then almost sneered as he answered, No, you don't. There's no church like that. If there was, I'd join it. I'd join a church like that. Gathered around the campfire of God's love. Is enough love for those around the campfire. And plenty of love for those who are out at 3.30 in the morning lost and loveless. The love that we have in Jesus is the very best gift that we can share with the people close to us and the people in our community. And there's plenty and plenty more to go around.